Welcome back, folks, to another Business from the Basketball podcast powered by X2 Power. I'm your host, Adam Deacon. And guys, today we've got an awesome show lined up, one that we have been trying to schedule for a while. But this guy's uh, tough to track down. He's always doing something. Um, and I'm excited for today's show. It's uh, It's been a long time coming because this brand represents some of the major brands in the fishing industry and the outdoor industry in general. And um, without further ado, let's bring in Ryan, the founder of Gunpowder Media. How's hey, it going, man? A- excellent. How are you? Dude, I'm doing well. Doing well. It's uh, it's a sunny day here, which is nice in Colorado. Man, it's been it's been pretty cold, but that's been fun to deer hunt and that kind of a thing. But how is it? You're in Wisconsin, right? Yeah, we're in Wisconsin. And man, it was uh, we had our opening of gun season uh, for deer this last weekend, which is... Uh, kind of an iconic event here in Wisconsin. I've been doing it for, man, uh, 20 or no, 30 some years. And the, it was about as cold as I can remember it being for opening day. It was, I don't know what the, I mean, the temps actually weren't that bad, but the wind chill was just brutal. And um, so, yeah, you kind of had to be in a, in a heated blind or bundled up and, uh, but it was great. Good to be out in the woods. Nice, man. Did you guys have some success? It was kind of a rough one for us. We didn't, uh, yeah, we saw, we, we passed on some deer, got a couple for the freezer. Um, nice. but yeah, it was, it was, uh, the deer movement was kind of weird for us this year, uh, all, all the way around all season. Um, but gotcha. you know, you, you win some, you lose some, it was great to be out there. Sure. And in, in Wisconsin, is there like just a shotgun season? Are you guys allowed to use center fire rifle still? Or was it, was it one of those Midwestern States that had, that had that change? No, we had we had some zones in more suburban areas where it used to be shotgun only. They've now opened those up to rifles as well. So you can use rifles in the vast majority of the state for a gun season. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting that they came back on that where they're like, hey, now now we're good to use rifles again. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know why that was, you know, and it's funny because I hunt a little bit in Iowa and now some of those shotgun only areas mm-hmm. are starting to allow, allow the like straight wall casings. Um, so you can use some kind of what I would call sort of lower power rifles in those shotgun only zones, which, which I've done, I've, I've shot a 350 legend for the last couple of years there. And it's a, it's a really cool round. Um, but yeah, it is kind of interesting to see States walk that back. Um, yeah, I don't know. They kind of, there's always that battle between like trying to keep people safe, but they also want to make it accessible and give people the best chance to succeed in the field. So maybe that's where that came from. I'm not sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And so when it's a straight wall cartridge, just there, they were willing to do any cartridge where there's no neck down, right. To just get a higher velocity that longer. Yeah. 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 So like, I mean, I guess the theory is that, you know, you're, you're limiting the range, if mm-hmm. not the, you're, the effective killing range and the danger of somebody, an errant shot hurting an, another hunter or, you know, striking a residence or whatever, I guess that's the theory, but it's interesting, man. Like, I mean, muzzle loaders used to be, I mean, shotguns are still in my mind, pretty tough to get long range, but like muzzle loaders now you can reach way out with those, um, mm-hmm. these straight wall rifles. I mean, you can, you can kill deer at a long distance with those. And, you know, so I guess States are just realizing that they have to make some of these changes because they need to keep participation up. Participation sometimes is, is, you know, can be negatively affected if people go field and don't have success. Um, so yeah, it's just, I think it's a balancing act for a lot of these states and conservation. Sure. Sure. Well, that's it. No, though you, it's interesting. You bring up the muzzleloader stuff. I've got a friend, we've both been getting uh, pretty serious into the, 
the muzzleloader stuff, just I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and in Colorado, so we, we're still iron sights on muzzleloader, so so can't have okay. a scope and, and that kind of a thing. But still, with that, like uh, I don't know, I just feel like there's a it's a it's a lot less pressured seasons um, yeah. when it comes to muzzleloader, and I just love earlier seasons in general. I'm a big archery guy, and so uh, yeah. it's kind of that middle ground. You might have that a little bit a little bit further distance for sure, and the ability to to um, do some things with a muzzleloader. So it's been a recent conversation topic for a buddy and I for a long time. Yeah, it's cool. It's a, it's a, I've shot them for a while. We get another week of gun season up here in Wisconsin with the muzzleloader and other States where, you know, I've, I've actually used in Iowa, my muzzleloader as opposed to a shotgun during shotgun season, because while I'm limited to one round, I have way higher confidence in my range and, and, and uh, accuracy with that. Over gotcha. So. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Yeah. Well, dude, thanks for, for coming on and making this happen. Yeah, um, you know, you and I had hung out a little bit at ICAST this year. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Bailey, um, partner on the Serious Angler podcast, and um, he, he's he been a, a, a part of your team for a while now at Gunpowder. Yeah. Um, and uh, enjoyed hanging out with you and getting to hear everything uh, from what you guys do there, getting a little insight uh, from that perspective. But uh, how are things going, man? Is this kind of like what, what type of uh, – is this like your busy season? Is this kind of things are, are a little bit slower? What is, what does December look like for the gunpowder crew? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, uh, it feels like there's never a slow time for us, but there's just different peaks of the kind of activity or the kind of work that we're doing. So summer's super busy with ICAST, with other trade shows, um, consumer events, you know, lots of the tournaments trails are firing. And so we support those for a lot of our clients. December, you know, late in the year like this, it tends to be planning. So, you know, we work closely with our clients to, uh, I guess, in some cases, even identify budgets, but um, either that or work with budgets that are allocated for marketing efforts and start to determine where do we spend the money? What's the best path forward? Those are the things that we work on in the end of the year. And then we also work with a few clients in the hunting industry and shooting industry. And so a lot of those trade shows tend to be in the winter months. And so we're preparing for those. So those are January, you know, SHOT Show, sure. uh, some of those other events that we support on that side of the business. But yeah, it's a lot of planning. You know, a, a lot of people t- kind of tend to in December sort of like wind down their year. Um, we still go pretty hard. And then that planning piece just is another layer. But uh, um, I guess from some from the standpoint of like being out on the road and grinding and doing all that stuff that we do on behalf of our clients, that tends to, to, to slow a little bit in the winter months. Sure. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. It's kind of cool to me, uh, just with kind of my background in farm and ranch real estate and then the hunting and fishing industry and everything, like all the different trade shows, um, you know, shot show and Dallas safari and, and all these different things. It's interesting that like the hunting shows, like you said, and they still have some fishing, fishing aspects in some of the, in some of the winter shows, but you have like that season that you're right. Like it's like January is just show season for all the, all the hunting and and shooting stuff. And then it just flips. And then like, then you have, you know, the classic and everything on the fishing side. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, and it's, it does create, uh, it creates these like windows of time in the business where it's like, we really focus on, you know, and obviously like the hunting side of the business, you know, there's only, you know, in North America, there's a primary hunting season, which tends to be in the fall mm-hmm. in 
uh, in particular, like in the bass world, there's kind of a season that's, that's sort of predicated by tournaments. It, you know, their trails kind of tend to line up with the prime times to bass fish throughout the country when the weather's nice, obviously it, you know, like you live in here in Wisconsin, there's certain months of the year where you can't even put a boat on the water. So (laughs) there's the seasonality of our business, which is interesting. It also like keeps us, uh, it, it keeps us on a little bit of a calendar, which is kind of nice. Um, it's got some predictability to it. And, um, you know, once you get into this world and start working in the outdoors, it's sort of like, you kind of know what's coming, um, to a degree, which is interesting. Sure. Very cool. Well, I guess let's get into, we'll, we'll get into the story of gunpowder and how it was all started. But first, how would you describe gunpowder to folks, um, that maybe don't know what it is and how kind of maybe some of this stuff works in the industry? Yeah. So it, 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 I've been doing this agency business for, uh, 20 some years and, and it's, you know, I think it's one of the hardest things to describe to people that aren't really familiar with the marketing side of, uh, um, or marketing in general. And, you know, I remember my late grandpa, like never really did quite figure out what it was that I did. Um, (laughs) Go to parties and people are like, so what does that guy do again? And you're like, yeah, well, it's just that, you know, it's like, you know, and, and, and especially because the agency world or marketing has changed so dramatically. It's like, you used to be able to tell people, Hey, I work at an ad agency. And 20 years ago, I was like, okay, I get it. You make TV commercials and print ads because, you know, that's how the, the world learns about new products and, and brands. Um, it's become so much more complex today um, that, you know, really what we are, Adam, I guess, is like, you know, we're a communications and marketing agency. Um, okay. So we basically become an extension of our clients' marketing team. So um, we help our clients have commercial success by driving marketing communications efforts that, uh, help, uh, them differentiate themselves, differentiate their products, uh, help consumers, uh, understand the benefits and, um, hopefully lead to lead to purchase. So we support our clients in lots of ways. It's, uh, um, as I mentioned, like marketing and communications, you know, has changed a lot, even in the time I've been in the business where, there are so many more ways that consumers interact with brands um, and it's much more engagement than it is just a brand talking to people. And so I think what we've done is, as an agency is tried to position ourselves as a, the kind of partner that clients can turn to to say, listen, we understand the categories you're in. We understand the consumers. We understand their behavior. Um, we are, we have strong business acumen when it comes to like understanding the financials of the fishing world from boats and motors all the way down to fishing tackle. And so we kind of help our clients connect the dots between the products they're making, the business they're trying to grow and helping consumers in the case of the fishing world have more success on the water. So if we can be the connective tissue between those two things, then consumers win by getting access to better fishing products, be more well-educated on how to use them and our clients sell more stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that's a huge point just on, on the consumer side too. Uh, especially when we're talking, um, like you guys represent Johnson outdoors and, and we're talking Minn Kota and Humminbird and, yep. and, and those, especially when you're talking graphs and electronics and stuff, I feel like there's always, always a lack of, of uh, understanding with people, um, when it comes to technology and having that, um, ability to showcase of, 
of how this stuff actually works and right. uh, better communication between that brand and the consumer on uh, maybe a new technology that's coming out within that brand. And so it, there's just so much that goes into that it, to, in my eyes. And it's like, like you said, I was thinking, okay, when you said how it's going to be hard to answer exactly what we, but it's like, there's so many different aspects that go into that, that it is, it's hard to almost explain. Um, and it's probably very, um, specific to each brand too, on what they want and, and working with their marketing folks on their end, because some maybe do a lot of internal marketing stuff and then maybe you're taking the lead on other ones. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Every, every client's different. And that's, um, that's kind of what, I think is interesting about the business is we don't really play a singular role with any client. So for some were, we would be defined as like their public relations agency where we're, you know, trying to get earned media coverage for their, for our clients. So, you know, you read a piece about, for example, um, in, in Fisherman magazine around how to use your, how to use forward facing sonar um, or how to use, um, you know, different technologies to, you know, in a, in a specific fishing application. Mm-hmm. We will work very closely with the media on, on like the writer on we'll take them out on the water. We'll educate them. We'll oh, spend time okay. with them in a boat, educating them so that they can educate the reader. Um, in other cases, you know, we're actually creating that content or helping our clients create that content so they can push it out through their channels. Um, okay. In other cases, we're, you know, we're uh, working with other production partners who have more, you know, advanced production capabilities. So it's, it's, it's kind of got, we, we've got to be really nimble in terms of how we think and work. Um, and, and it really, because each of our clients, we do have a different role based on who they have internally. And, you know, some, some clients have big marketing teams, but mm-hmm. they're also giant companies that need some significant support from outside partners to help mm-hmm. fill in the gaps or to bring our areas of expertise and our outside counsel to them. And others, we're kind of like literally an outsourced marketing department where they have very, very small teams. And it's like, it's on our shoulders um, from soup to nuts. So, yeah. That's cool, man. I I love kind of tailored insight there, like as far as setting that up to that specific brand. And I mean, you guys work with just a couple, a list of looking stuff. I mean, like dream brands in my eyes, like we're talking top tier um, when it comes to the outdoor industry. And I think I just saw, um, today, I think on social media, you guys are working with Sitka. Yeah. Yeah. We just, just started that relationship beginning of the month. So yeah. Wow. Huge man. That is incredible. It's wild. Yeah. Honestly, man, I, I pinched myself, uh, looking at our client roster. Um, you know, I grew up fishing and hunting, Um, you know, and I've been in the agency business for a long time and I've worked on everything from, you know, Miller Brewing to Pizza Hut to Rayovac batteries to, uh, you know, digital, I mean, you name it, healthcare, digital companies. And what I realized over my career is that I do my best work. And I think people do their best work when they're involved with something they care about. hundred percent. So whether it's something that moves you, whether it's something that just an industry that fascinates you, whether it's something that's a personal passion or connected to something that is, uh, you know, a part of your life or lifestyle or your faith or whatever. I mean, honestly, like I just, it, it doesn't have to be about like your, it doesn't have to be about your personal interests, but in this case it is. And in this case, you know, I didn't necessarily set out to start gunpowder to like be a playground for my personal interests 
instead I felt like there was an opportunity with these lifestyle brands to bring a level of expertise that I had developed and other people that I've worked with have developed over their courses of their career mm. to bring that level of sophistication and marketing knowledge and savvy and experience to brands that we care about. And I just always thought how that could be amazingly powerful. And then when you start doing it and you start having success and then you look back seven years later and you're like, man, I, honestly, if I could have, if I could have seven years ago said, pick a dream roster of clients, I like, we're, we got a ton of them on the list and that's pretty, got them. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. So I want to get into that, that, uh, creation and that story there. Um, I guess to start, so, so like you said, you've been in the agency world a really long time. Um, and 20 years ago, like when we're talking, I mean, how has the landscape as a whole changed just from, I mean, I, I'd imagine there's a ton of different things, but like overall has your, your, what has changed in the last 20 yeah. years? Are we in, you know, un, um, I guess uncharted waters right now? Is everything completely different than it was 20 years ago? Does it keep you on your toes? What is, what does stuff look like? Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it has, it has changed, of course, um, like any industry or category. But I think what's striking to me is how little control brands truly have of their brand today versus what, you know, what they had 20 years ago. And it's really what I mean. Yeah, because, you know, the it used to be where, you know, the marketing and communications was very uh, one sided. It was like the only uh, the only opportunity that consumers really had to like talk about a brand was word of mouth. Right. So like, you know, you just didn't have the platforms for interpersonal communication that you have today mm -hmm. where somebody who had a negative experience or a positive experience or wanted to recommend something it had to happen more truly virally where like, you know, you call up your, you know, your brother and like, Hey, did you try this lure? Yeah, I tried that lure. And next thing you know, it's like you, you find these little things. Now it's like these things can blow up so quickly um, and consumers have a lot of power for better or worse. Um, okay. And even the, outside of interpersonal communication, the ability for uh, consumers to have an actual relationship with a brand, is way more powerful. It used to be like, yeah, you could go see somebody that worked for the company at a consumer show. You could call customer service or maybe later on email customer service and get a reaction. But those are very one-on-one -on -one, uh, insulated and not visible uh, relationships. Now, like you can call it a brand in a million ways, right? Mm -hmm. You can, there's highly visible reviews of products. There are ways to engage with, with brands on social media. We see it all the time with our with our clients. You know, something comes out, we track the conversation, we read the good, the bad. Um, people come to the brand and express their opinion directly. And and navigating all that, it's become more about like understanding and building and fostering relationships mm -hmm. as opposed to just being a mouthpiece. And that's the biggest change over these years that I've been doing this. Is and I've always been. My discipline that I've grew, grew up in largely was in communications or PR. You know, I've always loved brand strategy and, and um, you know, been involved with that to, to a great extent with a lot of really great clients. But I believe in like PR as earned media is one of the most important elements of a brand's voice in the world. Mm -hmm. And I still think it is today because if you can come out and you can create a story that 
other people want to tell on your behalf because it's interesting and powerful enough, then I think it sort of passes the sniff test of what consumers will talk about and anglers will talk about, as opposed to just, you know, it used to be you create a TV spot, you push it, you pay money to push it out into the world. And you look at your sales and you say, good or bad, did our marketing work? We don't really know. Now we can measure things like consumer sentiment. We can measure engagement. We can understand what consumers think is cool because we can track all that. And it allows us to be better at our jobs, smarter at what we do. Um, and if you're humble enough to like take that feedback and not discount it and say, hey, these people, they, they have a voice and we understand, we want to learn from what people think is cool, what isn't, what products resonate and what don't. It can make us, I think what's cool about it is it makes us way, way better at our jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the two things there, I mean, I think the, the data and analytics side of stuff has, has really excited me um, here yeah. lately. Uh, and I've just, there's so many times where it's like, you know, I have a feeling that's this way. And this is how, for instance, on the podcast, we should release it at this time of this episode in that kind of situation. And then it's like, well, the numbers say differently. And I'm, and I'm humble enough to say, all right, I was wrong. I had the wrong feeling about this and take that, take that data and you can learn so much. I mean, data doesn't lie um, most of the time if it's good. Oh, data. Yeah. And so I've had a big interest in that. And I think that that is a huge player in, in all aspects of life now, um, especially with these, with these lifestyle brands. Um, and when you say earned media, I guess, what do you mean there for, for uh, folks and myself? Yeah. Just for, what does that exactly mean? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's so like, you know, when you, whether it's uh, a digital outlet or a, uh, a print magazine, basically, if you look at kind of traditional news outlets where you would, you know, so you, you might read Bassmaster magazine or, yep. um, you know, you, you may subscribe to, uh, you know, different email newsletters like, sure. you know, Bass Blaster, you might get in Fisherman, you might get Game and Fish, um, you know, these, these news outlets, um, digital print, some broadcasts, even some, you know, some podcasts, like the ability to get editorial coverage mm-hmm. um, is uh, for on behalf of your brand is a, is a goal of many companies, right? Because um, you might launch a new lure mm-hmm. and you might put a bunch of money behind paid advertising. So you're going to go create 15 second pre-roll spot. You're going to create a print ad. You're going to make digital banner ads and you're going to put paid dollars so you place those things in the media with paid dollars. Mm-hmm. Earn media is where we're saying, we don't want to pay for the coverage. We want, we want to earn that coverage. So we would cut. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ways to do that. We have teams that spend a lot of time just uh, managing and, and fostering relationships with influential writers and with editors. Media and outlets. Yep. And we're yep. calling them up and saying, Hey, what are you working on? And there's like, hey, we've got a story coming up about uh, pre-spawn bass lures. And mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out like an angle. Hey, cool. Listen, we got this flat-sided crankbait that is like, you know, here's the stats on it here. We'll let you talk to the product guy. We'll introduce you to one of our anglers who helped design it or fishes it a lot. You can learn from them. So we're connecting the dots. And so ultimately, this story comes out and it's like, hey, here's five great pre-spawn baits for bass to fish this spring. And our goal is to try to get our client's product in there uh, and in a favorable light and in, in a way that allows consumers to read that article 
have the confidence to buy it and information on how to go use it so they find success. So that's the kind of what we call earned media coverage that we didn't pay any money to the outlet to cover that. We just did the hard work of working with that reporter or writer to, to give them story angles to include our client's product in the, in the mix. I see. That's really cool. So that's the, that's the connective tissue that you're talking yeah. about. I mean, you guys yeah. are, are the connector when it, when it comes to all that. And, uh, that, uh, I mean, I think it goes a long way. Like you're saying from the consumer's perspective, that third party, um, releasing that product, those product details and, and getting that, uh, ability to look at it from a different lens rather than just coming from the, the brand itself. Yeah, it's it, yes. And you know, the, a lot of these outlets are still incredibly influential. Um, you yeah. know, it's, it's sort of fractured a little bit because it used to be, you know, uh, rewind even man, five years ago, there were a lot more print magazines titles out there, sure. um, you know, like field and stream outdoor life two of the most iconic titles in, in, in outdoor publishing are now digital only. Mm -hmm. So we can still work with them. We still get placement within their, you know, we still work to get earned media coverage within those outlets, but it's a hundred percent online. And so the landscape has changed um, in terms of the media available media outlets. There's a lot more, um, you know, kind of smaller groups that are, that are kind of becoming their own little media Outlets and I mean honestly, Adam, like podcasts are one of them, right? Like, oh, yeah, you know, one of the things that we work to do is, you know, you guys have your paid sponsors, mm-hmm. right? Like, you got X two is is sponsoring to have be a part of your program and Omni and Hobie and all these. You also, you know, we would come to you guys and say, hey, would you be willing to have, uh, you know, Bobby Lane on your show? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are, that's great. We'll hook you up, and so like you get access to a great angler. But we'll have Bobby, like, we'll tell Bobby, hey, we just would love for you to be able to talk about, um, you know, Maxent, using Berkeley Maxent for largemouth fishing. Sure. Um, work yeah, that yeah. into the show. So now it's like, you guys get the benefit of a great guest, mm-hmm. timely guest. We get the benefit of somebody helping deliver some of our, the brand stories or product stories that are important to us. So, um, yeah. yeah. So you, you're, you're working with those ambassadors, those brand ambassadors yeah. that are, that are, uh, they're, they're brought on by that brand to, to display the product. And again, being the connective tissue of, of taking that, um, I guess, pressure off the brand of, of having to deal with maybe necessarily that ambassador and exactly figure all this stuff out. And it's like, Hey, we will, we're, we're pros at this. We're yeah. going to, we're going to make sure we're all on the same page. They're going to go on and do the show, but we're going to bring up this product. Um, here. Yeah. So that's totally. really cool, man. It's cool how that all works. And uh, it's good to get it from the source because I think that, um, like you said, for folks like myself who are not in that industry at all, yeah. uh, the agency industry, it's always like, okay, Bailey's going on these cool trips, going to these places. But what are, what are you doing? Are you just going fishing? Like, and you, you know, it's, it's cool to see how it all works. And it's, it's, you know, my, my gears are turning when Bailey tells me a story about such and such angler, you know, it's like, okay, that makes yeah. sense what you're doing there. Yeah. It's, I mean, and Listen, I, you know, like, uh, Bailey's a, a great example of like, I think the, the way that this industry works well and the way that our agency works well is Bailey's a guy who's got his own, his own vibe going, right. He's got this, the serious angler thing that you guys got going on. Um, he's a successful kayak tournament angler. Yep. Um, he's a like driven young guy who's like, he lives this, this is what he wants his this is what he wants to center his life around. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, like when I, when I was a younger guy, I didn't really have the right agency or place to go find that. And I just was like, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to go try to get great experience. And eventually I'm going to apply my personal passion to this. But, you know, we were fortunate enough to um, connect with Bailey early on, his, on in his career. Um, but he's the kind of guy that we can send on a trip with media. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they start talking fishing, he he's can have a relevant conversation, right? He's not a, he's not a PR shill. He's not just there to, you know, kind of like, it's not a boondoggle. He's working hard on those trips. And, and I say that, um, knowing that it's a lot of fun for him. And I've always loved doing those media trips because we're taking people on the water. We're putting them in the boat with our pros or our product developers from our client companies. And we're again, connecting the dots, but like, we're also getting time, getting time in the boat with these guys to learn from them, to hear from them, to spend time talking about fishing, which we all love. And so it's like, he has earned the right to go on those trips because he knows the space he works his ass off in advance of these trips to go and make sure that they're a success in terms of all the logistics and everything. And then when, when, when we're there, the people on our team are truly working to help media get great content to come out of these things. So that's kind of the goal is we want our media to come out of there with like a great story to tell. And if they prioritize video content that we're getting them great video. And so it's, these events are like long days, um, sure. incredibly, incredibly hard work, but also way more fun than sitting in the office. So, you know, we all, we all kind of win if we, those events go well. A hundred percent. Cool. No, that's uh it's neat how, how it, uh, it seems to all, all come together. And, um, like you said, it's cool that you had the vision at one point you said, Hey, I want to get good at this agency stuff. And then eventually tied into my passion, passions in yeah. the outdoor world. So as you're working your way through your career, like you said, some of those brands you worked for, um, everyone knows about what they are, not necessarily all in at all in the outdoor industry. Um, when, when did you feel like it was the proper time? I mean, so 2015 is when gunpowder started. Why did you feel like, Hey, I'm ready to make this step and, and, and do my thing. Number one. And number two, with my passions and, and these lifestyle brands. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'd been part of another uh, business where I'd come on pretty early in the um, in the life cycle of this other agency. Um, worked with an incredibly talented group of people. Um, worked on some amazing brands and b- built a, a a business that I look pa- back on really fondly as like, man, one of the like really high points of my career. And um, but but you know, we had we had sold the company a couple times and. Mm-hmm we kind of had become sort of this agency that we had sold against. Like we were always nimble and agile and we wanted to do, we wanted our, we wanted to push our clients and um, we kind of became like a little bit, I don't know. We, we kind of became this bigger agency that had a lot of process and, and it just, there was nothing wrong with it. That agency still exists and does great work. It's just, I realized that um, I thrive in a smaller environment where I can like really, um, I'm not forced into a single role. I can wear a lot of hats. I can be, um, I I can, I can kind of like flex with our clients. And, and anyway, it's just kind of like, it was a good time in my life um, to just go do something new. And Mm. uh, I decided, you know, I've always had, I always had the dream of starting my own company. And uh, you know, it was like, there was, there was really no impetus for it other than just the timing felt right. 
on my side. And, you know, I was able to kind of like walk away from that business in a good place and leave my team there in a good place. Probably the biggest impetus for me to do it though, honestly, was what I was seeing in the market, which was we had worked with a few brands in the outdoor space. So one of the clients that we had at my old agency was GoPro. Sure. And we handled a lot of their like outdoor stuff. Like we kind of were in charge of all their like hunting and fishing and more outdoorsy pursuits as opposed to like surfing and, and snow sports. Sure. And, and so I got to kind of get a little bit more embedded in the outdoors industry, working with them. We were also working with Cabela's. Um, oh, cool. And so we had a couple outdoors clients that I had like gone out and pursued at my other agency because I wanted to, I wanted to work in the category. Yeah. And then, and then I, when I, in working with them, I realized, man, they're, you know, there just did not appear to be any really great agencies in that enthusiast lifestyle space. Uh, where I'm talking like people that are, you know, when you're talking about brands that are appealing to people that have outdoor passions and interests or people that just are living like in that like sports outdoors world, um, I just didn't see a lot of great agencies. I saw a lot of agencies that knew those categories really well, but didn't, weren't really prepared to, for the changing landscape of media, weren't really like world-class marketers in that space. And I felt, man, like if we could, if we could compile a team and go into this space, which is fun to work in and has a lot of opportunity, this could, this could be like a, this could be even a better chapter than the really great one I was exiting. And so what I was actually fortunate enough to kind of keep a little relationship with GoPro and uh, they were one of our first clients and we just did a few projects with them. And so it was like me and a, a guy that I kind of started the business with who's, who's no longer part of the business, just, um, you know, we kind of went separate ways, but um, we started it with like no clients, no revenue. Uh, but we're like, listen, we got an idea. I think we've got the kind of connections and certainly like a resume and experience that would be of interest to at sure. least get some doors open. Mm-hmm. So we went for it. That's awesome, man. I lo- uh, That's a, a big reason why I started this podcast is, is stories like that where folks, um, had that passion and that drive. And in your case, the experience, uh, to, to jump in and do something on, uh, on their own terms and something that they wanted to build, build something special. And, um, like you said, I mean, just a a list of the brands, just in the fishing industry. I mean, Johnson outdoors, pure fishing, uh, X two power, uh, Academy, like, I mean, big time players in this industry. And then the whole hunting side, um, really, really cool to me. Uh, what you guys have done in such a short time. I mean, you're what, seven years into this now? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a lifetime in some ways. In other ways, it feels like a, I think it feels like a long time. Actually. I used to say it felt like a short, you know, how kind of some things can feel like a lifetime, but also like, it seems like yesterday. Yeah. It now feels like this is my life. You know, like I still remember the other stuff, but this is just, it's been, such a labor of love. And we've had so many chapters in this like little adventure um, that's been, but man, it's like, I think about, we still do some work with GoPro world's largest camera company. Mm-hmm. We work with Thor industries. We're the agency of record for them. They're the world's largest RV company. They own Airstream and Jayco and Keystone world's largest fishing company, you know, big Marine electronics company, a giant retailer. And it's like, Sometimes, you know, and, and there's no way that we could have all these things if we hadn't built the team here that we have. Like there's, I, 
you know, when you start this, when you start a business, especially an agency like this, you're trading on your past experience and you're trading on your own sort of equity that you've built. And, and that was like the first couple of years where like the chapter where you're like, man, I can just, you work in your network and it's, Hey, people are coming to work with gunpowder. And I don't say this for, like to be egotistical. They're coming there because it's like, well, we've worked with Ryan and we'll trust that Ryan's building something cool. Mm-hmm. And, and that gets you, you know, that gets you a little ways. Um, the door. Yep. And it gets you like a base and it got us a base and it got us a starting point. And then it was like, you know, we got to, I got to surround myself with great people. Cause I, a, I'm not, a, I don't want to do it all. And B, I don't know how to do it all. And I love working with great people that inspire and, and motivate and, and, and amaze me. Yeah. And so we, you know, luckily have built that team, you know, and that's, that's the, that's the real secret to this whole deal is like, you know, there is, and, and honestly, like why I love what we do and why, and why we've been successful is yes, we work in categories we love and that makes it easier to come to work every day. And, you know, we've had success, you know, financially and just from a business growth standpoint, which is great. But this business, the only thing we have is are the people that walk through the door, you know, the hypothetical, we work remote a lot. So like, but Uh it's our people. We don't, the agency business is weird in that we don't have any intellectual property. We don't really have it. You know, we don't have like machinery or equipment. The, it's human capital. That's what we have. Smart, passionate people who care deeply about being successful and who want to grow. So, and it's like, man, if you find the right combination of people, it can be really magical. So it's that's kind of, awesome. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of what we found. We're, we're in like this amazing place right now where we've, we've built this team that I never, you know, I mean, we've just never had a team like this uh, at Gunpowder. We've grown a lot, which is interesting because a lot of times when you grow, you tend to add people, but it's, you wonder if they're the right ones because you're, you're growing quickly. Right. You, you just need people. Hire. Yeah. Yeah. But man, we've been very fortunate. We've been very deliberate about hiring and, you know, made sure that we try to find the right people and worked really hard to hire. And, um, thankfully outside of Bailey, who's questionable. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's knock him down a little. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. We have a big head earlier. Let's, yeah, let's drop that off. Yeah. We've been building him up. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's not that smart. He's a very passionate kid. He's not that smart. He's also, I think overrated as an angler. Um, I, I'm just going to go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, no, he's, he's amazing. He, that kid is, uh, he's on a run with fishing and I love it, man. I used to fish tournaments and it was such a fun, it was, it was, I loved it. And I just, you know, regionally here in Wisconsin, it was just um, team tournaments, but it was, it was really fun for me. Like just a great way to force yourself to go out and fish and learn. And I see Bailey doing it as a young guy, like you just learn so much mm-hmm. and he's fishing at a higher level than I, than I ever was. Um, but it's just cool. The experience that he's getting. Um, um, but yeah, he's, but, but again, going back to the main theme of this part of the segment He's yeah. overrated as a fisherman. Yep. Overrated. He's in a kayak. I mean, he could, he could fall yeah. out of it anytime. Yeah. He's a Tupperware warrior. Now exactly. <laughs> yeah. all those things. Yeah. Go uh, on. Keep going. Yeah, exactly. No, but, um, I, I think it's cool. The team atmosphere to me, um, really is something that Bailey talks highly about with you guys and just how gunpowder works. Um, you know, it seems like a young team in, in, in some aspects that is just 
firing on all cylinders going and uh into these into these brands and are passionate about it i mean these guys like like bailey himself is really passionate in this industry at this point i mean you started like you said with with the other guy there was two of you how many folks are working for gunpowder today as we sit in 2022 i think we have uh 28 full-time employees um and we have a couple kind of almost full-time interns and then we have probably oh i don't know five or six near full-time contractors just Mm -hmm. people that are you know kind of out um doing their own thing but we work with really closely and regularly sure so yeah it's uh i mean we've probably i think we've doubled in size in like the last couple years um yeah so yeah it's amazing yeah that's a lot it's a lot of people it's it's uh pretty pretty wild when you think when you actually just state say the number out loud no joke in in a, in a, just a couple of years span. That's yeah. uh that's fantastic. What are your thoughts, I guess, um, on the independent contractor versus full-time employee? Um, do you see that like in today's landscape that there's a shift going on there? I mean, where, where, where does that stand in your head? Um, you know, it's really funny, man. When I first started in this business, it was like every client would want to know when you start working with them, who's the team? And they wanted like this very hierarchical team to exist. And, um, and even like a creative team, you know, we do a lot of like, we make, you know, we build websites. We, I mean, we, our clients trust us with big creative projects. Like we do all of Berkeley's big creative projects, you know, their TV spots, print ads, everything. And like, it used to be, you know, if you're going to work with a client, the caliber of pure fishing, they would be like, we want to know, Who's the creative director? Who's the, uh, you know, art director? Who's the writer? I want to know the whole team and I want to know who my account person is. And it was very, the, the, the client, client, and they wanted to meet with them. And it was like, you know, we want to come to your office and it better be fancy. And we need to go up for <laughs> big steak. It was just a very different relationship. And a lot of those agency relationships were based on these sort of like this, this, this very, um, and I even see it on the client side where, there was a very like hierarchical VP of marketing, marketing director, brand manager is like siloed. And and now it's just different, honestly, like clients prioritize, especially honestly, maybe, maybe we sort of self-select the clients we work. They prioritize great work. They don't give a shit where it comes from or who's working on it. As long as like they're getting the kind of work that they expect and have a relationship with the people that is, you know, mutually respectful and, um, mutually beneficial. Right. So like we, so going back to your question more directly about the independent contractors, mm-hmm. I mean, there are times when we work with independent contractors, we don't hide anything from our clients, but like our clients don't know, don't care who's an independent contractor. Who's Great a work. Yeah. Really this right. dude's on the call. He's brilliant. We're getting results. Let's go. They don't, they don't worry about the nuances of how. And so what's, what's cool about that is it makes, makes it easy for us to bring in the right people at the right time. Mm. Instead of like, man, I don't know. We don't really have an expert in this one particular area. We just, we've got those people on our bench or we can go find them and we don't have to hire them full time. We don't have to bring on a big expensive salary. Sure. So clients don't have to pay for people they don't need, but they get expertise when they need it. And like our creative team is here is pretty small. But we've got an amazing bench of people that we work with really, really closely around the country. And so, like, if we need a writer that can write with some attitude and be a badass, we got the guy. 
Yeah. We need somebody that can be more technical and nuanced and really needs to understand like the like fishing electronics. We've got somebody that can help us with that. And so, I mean, I do think that it's the world has made it become easier for independent contractors to succeed in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to find a good balance because there is a benefit to having people internally in sure. our, you know, really, really sharing our vision, contributing to our culture. Mm-hmm. But um, there's times and we've probably had three. Uh, I know for sure three people that are senior people at Gunpowder that started with us as independent contractors. Wow. Um, cool. Two of them happen to be people that were like, they were early, you know, young women who were mo- just, you know, new moms who were like, man, I need to take a step back to, you know, keep my career going, but also take time with my, you know, with my kid. And then eventually they're like, all right, we got this motherhood thing down and like might, might continue to have more kids, but like, I want to get back full time into the workforce. And so the fact that we were willing to work with them as an independent contractor and like part-time and, and give them that opportunity gave us access to them. And now they're literally people that are leading our business. So yeah. So it's, it, it benefits everybody, man. I I don't really think there should be a playbook for how you work, even like how we think about remote work. Mm -hmm. We have people that are here in Wisconsin, but don't even come into the office every day. We have people like Bailey who live in, Buffalo, New York. And, you know, we try to see him as much as we can, but also know that he's over there doing his job and we're connected and via technology. And, you know, we don't care about how the work gets done as long as, you know, everybody's jamming and the work gets done and everybody's happy. And, um, you know, clients, employees, the business, as long as everybody's benefiting, we're good with it. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a very new age thinking. And I think that, um, there's a lot of benefit and benefit to it. And it's, it's a lot of how my thought process is and just hearing different business owners talk about uh, their thought processes there. And I think a, a big point too, with exactly what you said with the independent contractor stuff, it's a good way in my eyes too, to feel out that, that individual and um, see some of that stuff before, like you sure. said, making that commitment and bringing on a salary and benefits and all this stuff. And then um, if that relationship's there, it's like, let's move, move into this full time and, and uh, make this oh, a yeah. thing together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, I, I love it. Um, I love that idea of being able to like work with somebody part time. Um, and then, yeah, to your point, if it grows into something bigger, fantastic. If it doesn't, that's fine too. But it's uh, the world that we live in now, like where we're all connected via technology, but um, you know, the good is great. The one thing that I'll say is that it is, there are parts of this business that are really, that really benefit from being together. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, being in like, you know, in person. Um, The good news is that we actually have a lot of reasons to do that over the course of the year. We have client events, we have meetings at our client's office, we prioritize getting people here occasionally from remote locations and we have trade shows, media events. So like we don't always all come together as an agency, but there's a lot of time that we spend together in person and, you know, you just get to know people better. You get to build a better rapport if you do that. And thankfully we work in an industry where like fishing and hunting and all these things that we are promoting happen in real life. Yeah. Um, And so we prioritize like, you know, getting together as people and not just like living behind a screen all the time. Yeah. I, well, I think that that's the, that's the side of it too, 
um, that I think you need to keep top of mind. And it's like you said, it's a good situation for you guys with all your events, but I agree like that. That's the one, I guess, downside to kind of this new age world of like, well, if you're always remote, I think about just, I'm, I'm a very social person person in yeah. general. And those like interactions in person to me, I really need, you know, not just necessarily on a podcast like this, but like, I enjoy those, those conversations. I feel like some of our, our best thinking and, and stuff happens in those group settings. Totally. Um, with that. So I, I like it, man. I think it's a good, and it's, it's clearly working for you guys. And I like the, the mix of everything that you guys have going. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. We, we, uh, um, when you think about our business, it's like, yeah, again, going back to the people side of it. And so, you know, thinking about like the context of like, you know, the other businesses that, you know, people that you've had on your podcast, like most of them are brands or businesses that make something right. Like, a product, you know, a, yeah. a rod company. Like it's yeah. very clear what they're selling. It's we're selling fishing rods. Um, obviously they're also selling the relationship with the brand. They're selling their customer service, their warranty. Um, you know, they're selling their experience when you go to try to buy it from them, whether it's on their own website or retail, their packaging, there's a lot of things they're selling, but ultimately it's a tangible thing. Fishing rod. Mm-hmm. We're selling people's talents and yeah, your assets are your people. Yeah. It's a weird thing. Like it's a, <laughs> a wild deal. And, and, but it makes, it gives, it gives me a ton of clarity because, you know, I always work really hard to make sure that our people are feeling motivated and driven and happy and fulfilled because that's like keeping your manufacturing line up and running. Right. And at, at the, I don't mean it to sound that callous, but it's just like, yeah, it's, it's our people are, are everything, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of like intellectual property. We just have great people busting their ass and, and supporting clients that they care about. So, um, yeah, anyway, it's, it's a, it's a wild business, man. I've been doing it for a long time and I still am learning every day and, uh, it's, it, which makes it fun and, um, extra fun when you got people like Bailey that are coming up doing their own, you know, on their own curve of learning and, um, you know, you're able to help kind of support that. It's pretty fun. Heck yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, the last thing I want to get into today um, was just to get your thoughts. Let's see. A couple of weeks ago, I had a show with Pete Glusick of Bass University, and it was it was really cool. Um, he broke down how he started Bass University, and it all came about during the 2008 recession. And I mean, he said every call he was getting call after call in a two week span. He lost 90% of his sponsor dollars. Oh yeah. I saw this actually. Yeah. Overnight. Just incredible. Right. Like to hear like, and that's, and that's, he's like, man, I need to take this, um, you know, my financial in, into my my own hands to some extent and be on, on this side of it. So that's what he did. But you know, we're, we're kind of in this looming situation right now, economically and all this stuff. And you're, you're directly, um, talking to these these companies about their marketing budgets and everything, and going into 2023, do you feel as an overall as an industry in a whole, is there going to be some reduction there? Do you feel like most people are like, man, we're killing it, we're going to keep rolling? What's what's kind of your take on that? I guess at this stage, yeah, I think people are going to tighten up. Yeah, I think brands are going to look at their business. I mean, there's a lot of weird factors in the in at play here. There's, um, you know. COVID created a ton of, uh, I mean, we all know that COVID created a ton of interest and participation in outdoor activities. Fishing is chief among them. So, which is great. Um, Created a lot more, created more anglers. Um, 
Yeah, I think we haven't seen that giant cliff event where there's a huge drop off in participation. So some of them are hanging out. Some of them are still some of them are probably moving up in terms of their interest. Um, I think we anecdotally see that we see that even in sales. But there's a there's been all these complicating factors that have happened around the pandemic and some economic stuff beyond that. That's, you know, all kind of leading towards a really interesting time period in the outdoors in general and in fishing. And I think there will be um, some companies that will uh, tighten up more than others during this time. I think, you know, each business has got its own sort of like trajectory, but I do think industry-wide we'll see a little bit of a reduction in spending from a marketing standpoint. Um, You know, my prediction is that it will be, short-lived. My prediction is that it won't be like a giant drop-off. You know, fishing as an activity tends to actually uh, do well in a recession um, because it's something that people can do closer to home. It doesn't require uh, extravagant travel. It's not in and of itself costly. The, some of the businesses that will feel more than others are like the bigger ticket stuff, like boats and motors, and even maybe like marine electronics, things like that, where, you know, it's like, um, but, but even you, you know, I, surprisingly in recessions, you know, people spend money on fishing and they'll even spend money on higher ticket aftermarket things because rather than buy a new boat, they might buy some new stuff for their boat. Right. Or rather than buy new stuff for their boat, they might buy some new rods or bet. So they just kind of trade down. But, um, you know, I do think it'll be interesting and, 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 uh, you know, I've been in this business a long time and even, even throughout my career off and on in the outdoors business, I've worked for boating companies and, and, motor companies and different uh, outdoor categories um, over the course of the year. So I've seen these cycles and nothing lasts forever. They things ebb and flow and the companies that are smart, the companies that understand this is a long game are the ones that, you know, will succeed through these times and, and come out of it maybe even stronger. So um, I was super interested to watch how things unfolded through the pandemic because there were companies that reacted very differently. Um, Mm -hmm. Some that were like, you know, really clutching at their purse strings and worried about what happened. And others that were like, hey, like this is a golden opportunity when people are looking at our category. And even though our business is disrupted in a major, major way, we need to lean forward, establish that we're leaders, own the conversation around this, this new crop of people coming into the sport. And I think those businesses benefited from that. So, you know, going into this recession time, which I think is, you know, either here or likely, right. um, you know, I think the brands that win will be responsible. They won't just be cavalier with their dollars, but they'll also understand like, Hey, you know, this is an opportunity when other people cut back, if we just lean forward a little bit, um, you know, we could benefit in the long run from this stuff. So yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. That, that story that Pete told, by the way, was amazing. And, you know, he's the kind of guy that you look at, you know, I love entrepreneurial stories and hearing that one, that was, that was super cool. A guy that just looked at it and said, man, this is where things are going. And, you know, he could have been down in the dumps or go gone and chased another career, but you know, to build what he's built. Um, I've haven't spent a lot of time with Pete, but I was with him on a media trip, hilarious guy, super fun. And um, that's the kind of stuff that like, you just love to see in an industry like this, there's people that take their passion for it, but they don't just say, hey, you know, I've got a passion. They find a niche and they lean into it and and they take some risk and build something amazing. It's cool. Yeah, I, I the same same way. Love those stories. And yeah. um, 
that's just i think that's a, a cool thing to talk about or people who who go that route other than like you said just turning away from it or or that kind of a thing yeah um taking the taking the bull by the horns man and making it happen cool. um, it's cool it's cool and it's what you've done with gunpowder and um everything there man so i'm i'm excited like you said to see how kind of things end up with brands it's interesting like you said because i've heard that stat too or just talking about how um the f- fishing does well through a recession because it's something that's close to home still an activity that's in yep. that in that light and uh kind of i was talking to a, a real estate guy that's a, a big investor in both um single family homes but then also in storage units yep. and during the last recession you know, my thoughts like, okay, well, you know, where, where are you going to see, you know, are people going to let their stuff go or, or their home go necessarily? And he had way more vacancies on the home side than he did on the storage unit side. People love their stuff, man. They love passionate outdoorsmen. You know, it's like whatever it may be, people want to hold on to their things. So that's kind of one of those last things. it seems. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and that's, what's, I, I, what I love is, you know, we say that we use this term all the time. It's like, you know, when you're working in like the CPG space and I've worked there, you know, I, I mean, we were, I worked on Oscar Meyer. It's like, I mean, there, we built a, we've did a lot of cool things to make people love that brand even more than they maybe already did. Yeah. But it was like, at the end of the day, it's like, somebody's going to the store. They're going to choose. They go to the store cause they have to eat and they're going to choose a couple from a few brands of hot dogs. And it's like, it's, you can build some emotion into that transaction, but it's just very different than what we're working on today, which is we're, we're, we, we play, we support brands that play for share of heart, not just share of wallet is what we say. Like we're, Dang, you're, like you're trying to connect with people in a more meaningful way. And it's like, I, you know, we always talk about this idea that it's not just about like, Hey, are we going to get somebody to think about buying a hummingbird locator versus a Garmin? Yeah. Like we want to compete in our category. But we have to go one level deeper and think about that guy's also that might buy that hummingbird uh, mega live. He's like, man, I could do that. Or I could go on an elk trip this year. Uh-huh. right? And it's like, that's the decisions that people are making in, in a recession, even more so because their disposable income decreases inflation, all the stuff we're facing. It's not that people are going to stop fishing or hunting. They're just going to be more choiceful about it. They may sure. take that elk trip because it's, you know, going to be the last one that can do with their dad. Uh-huh. How do you fight that battle? Right. You got to make it more compelling than that. Or, yeah. you know, I'm going to either buy a mega live or I'm going to like put a little more money into buying a hot tub for the family. It's like, those are the choices that people make. They, uh-huh. they, they, they're not. And, and it's, so it's like, we got to connect more deeply than just like a transaction. We've got to be more meaningful than just, Hey, um, you know, you're going to choose one of these things, choose this for these features. Um, and that's why we work super hard to establish relationships with influencers and build more amazing, interesting, creative, and to tell deeper stories than just, you know, product features. Um, but that's what makes it fun, man. And that's why it's like every day, you know, we get to go work in categories we like and like, you know, come up with ideas that make people care more. Um, and that's just way more fun than, you know, so, side side by side comparison. Yeah. I like I like that that thought process. It's like yeah. really we're competing for, you know, like you said, recreation dollars that you, that you're gonna your excess income dollars that you're gonna spend on this stuff and, yep. and uh, more of that feel to it rather than just you know two side by side units and comparing the the quality. Yeah. 
totally. you know, you can win on that heart side. So, man, I, I like that thought process. Um, Ryan, we're, we're getting right up here to the end of the show. The yeah, final man. question I wanted to ask you, um, your three biggest is I would ask the end of, of every show. Um, three biggest, largemouth, smallmouth, spotted bass. If you've caught a spotted bass, you're in Wisconsin there. So I don't know if you guys have many spots, but uh, where you were and what you caught them on um, with those with those personal bests. Okay, I'll just I'll get to the easy one first. I have never caught a spotted bass. Okay. Um, I yeah I it I need to. My I'm good buddies with Gussie, who I know you guys had on the show, and he's like obsessed with those things. And everybody I know that's caught them loves them. I, I love smallmouth, so um, yeah, I need to go do it. I, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't had, I just haven't had the benefit of fishing any really good spotted bass fisheries. Sure. It's on my bucket list. You've now put me on the spot, and and I had to. It's the first time I've publicly acknowledged that, which is interesting. Uh, <laughs> it makes me feel like I need to make that a priority for twenty three. So thank you for that motivation. There you uh, go. I'm gonna make Gussie go get me somewhere. Um, and put me on some, so that'll be, uh, that's the easy one. Smallmouth biggest one I've ever weighed was like six, two. And it was on uh, Sturgeon Bay. Wow. And, um, this is going to, this is not going to surprise you that it was on a max scent flatworm. There you go. <laughs> uh, I love fishing up there. love fishing, the, um, the, uh, Mississippi and, um, uh, Sturgeon Bay for smallmouth. So, um, yeah. And then, my lar- my biggest largemouth was actually I was practicing for a tournament on a you know uh, what for around here a big lake but in general small body of water called Shauna Lake in Wisconsin it's up by okay. Green Bay um, it, back in the day it was a great punching lake and you could just go out there and flip a one ounce jig and just murder them find oh, schools I caught one that on my buddy's scale was just over seven um, yeah. and big uh, that's like. I mean, that's an absolute Wisconsin toad. They just don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's very rare. So, um, but man, that was like 25 years ago. And since then, um, you know, I don't think that I've caught one much over six. Uh, oh, wait, sorry. Actually, I take that back. I did catch one that was uh, just over nine on Al Salto. Oh, my gosh. So, so, so by the way, I don't really count that one because uh, that, was, a, that was in another country. But um, I forgot about that. That was on a topwater. That was on a no – way. Berkeley Chapo. Yeah, it was, oh my. dude, it was one of those, I mean, uh, that's an industry trip right there. So that was down there for, uh, for work. Right. And man, what a bucket list deal. Uh, anybody that ever gets a chance to go down there. I mean, it, Billy Chapman's place down there. They take mm-hmm. absolute care of you. It's not actually, I mean, it's not that expensive in terms of like going to an absolute epic place. If you love bass fishing, um, my, one of the writers and I had a day where we caught like, in one morning, we caught like 300 bass, just jacked them. But I mean, catching a nine plus fish on a chapo, like oh. watching that big head come up and engulf it was epic. It was so yeah. fun. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I love the Berkeley chapo. I love top water fishing and yeah. a nine pounder. I could not imagine engulfing yeah. something like Toil- that. Toilet bowl flush, man. Just <laughs> Brady. It was, it was sick. And I, I, you know, that's, we caught a ton on them that day. It was just wild, wild stuff. Um, but yeah, that's a, that one I don't count. I forget about that when I talk about my largest largemouth because it's, it's like, yeah, a little, a little different going yeah, a little different, but, but technically that's my biggest one and it was super fun. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ryan, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out, man, yeah, and telling us the story of gunpowder and everything that you do there. Yeah, of course. Um, can't wait to just see. I love just looking at your guys' website and checking the roster out of who you guys are working with because it's always something that is just like, man, those are like just top, top tier brands that I use all of their stuff with. So um, cool, cool stuff you've got going, Ryan. Hi, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving with your family um, and uh, can't wait. We'll have to do it again sometime, uh, maybe yeah. in the summer or a different time of the year, get a different take. Yeah, I'd love that. And uh, we'll have to uh, find an excuse to get in a boat. We always say that. It's like the fishing industry. You got to, we always meet on podcasts or at trade shows or whatever. So we need to prioritize getting out in the boat with people that we work with. It's, uh, sure. yeah. So we'll do it. We'll, we'll, uh, here's what we'll do. We'll get out there. We'll invite Bailey. Uh-huh. We'll, show, we'll, we'll tell him, a, we'll let him watch this podcast where we talk smack and then, and then we'll see who's right. We'll, we'll solve it. <laughs> there you go. Or we'll just we'll just drag him around around in the boat with a kayak on the back. Yeah, yeah. We'll be like, oh, dude, you know, we, we're taking yeah. we got too much room. You can follow yeah. us though. Yeah, yeah. You know, we got a two fifty, but like, we'll see yeah. you down the road. Yeah, we'll see you at the next spot, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Oh, uh, good stuff. All right, man. Well, have a good rest of your day. Certainly appreciate you coming on. Yeah, and uh, absolutely, we'll do it again soon. Okay, thanks, Adam. Yeah. <laughs>